0: So, Mark. Yes? This week's movie is technically based on a book. Oof. I
1: don't want to talk about this week's movie because it's so bad. I can't imagine the book is very good.
0: I do feel like I have the general gist, not just because I have seen the movie, but also because the movie is based on a book, and the book is based on a song. And I have heard the song many times.
1: I have always hated that song. And when you put this on the schedule, needless to say, I wasn't thrilled. (laughs) And my fears have panned out.
0: See, I just felt like we should try another source of these bad Christmas movies, right? We've done Lifetime. We've done Ion. We've done Hallmark. And now we have that stalwart classic, the CBS original movie.
1: Why is this on? Like, one of my main takeaways from this was, does CBS own AMC? Like, is AMC the channel a Viacom company?
0: Uh, I don't think so. I would think they're independent. Otherwise, AMC Plus would not be a thing. It would just be part of Paramount Plus.
1: Right, so I'm just wondering why this CBS original movie was on AMC's catalog.
0: I assume they have the broadcast rights for it this year.
1: So weird. Streaming rights are so baffling.
0: No, I assume it's just like... AMC has the right to air this movie this year, and so it's also available on demand online. It's like when we sometimes watch movies for the podcast on, like, the TBS website.
1: I understand that. It's just, it was weird seeing, like, a TV movie on another channel.
0: Yeah, but, like, CBS doesn't air stuff like this anymore.
1: I know. Gone are the days where we got terrible, terrible movies.
0: Like, made-for-TV movies on broadcast. They don't really do that.
1: I don't even know what's on broadcast TV, except for, like, the primetime sitcom slots.
0: CBS actually is airing movies periodically again, but it's it's not first-run movies, right? They're airing blockbusters that are owned by (laughs) Paramount Viacom.
1: Cross-branding.
0: Yeah. I mean, they started doing it during the pandemic, which I thought was cool, and they've just kept it running. Hmm.
1: Every time I'm watching, like, like if I'm at a bar and it has sports on the TV, during commercials, I see an advertisement for some new game show that I refuse to believe exists.
0: Well, the game show situation got dire this year because game shows were not covered by the strikes. So, like, a lot of the networks introduced a bunch of game shows this year, CBS in particular, because it was a way to fill programming hours.
1: Okay, that explains a lot.
0: Like, Raid the Cage... That's a strike show.
1: Yeah, I couldn't tell you a single one because they all blur together. But I was just like, wait, what is happening here?
0: Buddy Games with Josh Duhamel.
1: Yeah, that's one. That one's like a Peacock original, isn't it?
0: That is airing on broadcast, I assure you. Oh, God. But anyway, the reason that I bring up the origins of this week's movie is because I was wondering. Just like this movie was adapted from a hit song, number one on the adult contemporary chart. For a week. I was wondering, Mark, what other songs should be adapted into feature-length movies?
1: So, my thought is, the song Pink Pony Club by Chapel Roan is so cinematic in and of itself... And then I was thinking almost every song on her album, The Rise and Fall of a Midwest Princess, could easily be adapted into a feature-length film. The Pink Pony Club tells the story of a small-town girl from Tennessee who moves to LA and becomes a stripper at a nightclub. She has Naked in Manhattan, which is the story of two high school friends reconnecting and realizing that they're in love with each other. And there's a line that's like, I want to do it like that one sex scene that's in Mulholland Drive. <laughs> um, it's just like a wonderful world of a young queer woman in different situations discovering her, her story.
0: See, that's much better than my idea of making a, a time-hopping, large-ensembled adventure. Mark, look, we're covering the DreamWorks movies, right? Yes. So at some point in the near future, we're going to have to talk about DreamWorks' Mr. Peabody and Sherman. Okay. Which is a a time-hopping comedy with two friends who travel through time and have weird escapades. And what I'm positing is, what if Mr. Peabody and Sherman 2 was purely limited to, like, four or five decades in the middle of the 20th century? My god. And so what I'm suggesting is, what if Mr. Peabody and Sherman did not start the fire?
1: I hate this idea, <laughs> Will. <laughs> I get it. I see where you're coming from. Horrifying.
0: Uh, my other idea was a depressing Puff the Magic Dragon adaptation. Uh,
1: there's also, uh, do you know the, oh, it's, I learned how to pronounce it on RuPaul's Drag Race, Tuve Lu, also known as Tovlo Lo, song uh, Disco Tits.
0: I am not familiar with this one.
1: The chorus is "I say hi, you say hi, we stay high. You look so pretty, yeah." Uh, okay, and I just sounds think like a full right length- material
0: for a feature film.
1: Yeah, I think just a full length movie about people getting high in the club, and then that stretched on for two hours with no change would be the worst movie ever made.
0: I mean, I've seen the Beach Bum, and there's some of that there.
1: What is the Beach Bum?
0: Uh, the Beach Bum is a movie about Matthew McConaughey and Snoop Dogg. Mostly getting high.
1: I refuse to believe that movie exists. I assure you it does. I, I, It's amazing how we as a society are so able to just forget that certain movies exist. And I think it's a defense mechanism. Otherwise, we might stop making movies.
0: There is a part of me, as I've been thinking about this, that's like, maybe I should watch the Alice's Restaurant movie. Which is like a 15-minute kind of song, kind of just like spoken word ramble. By Arlo Guthrie. It's like a shaggy dog story. And it got adapted into an Arthur Penn movie.
1: That's a movie that the only situation where I could find myself watching it would be in a room at the MoMA. And I'd watch about two minutes
0: of it. Not having seen it, it does seem to kind of have that vibe. I could watch like a draft dodger rag comedy. What about you? Do you have any, any songs that should be movies?
2: Yeah, I... I think maybe it's a little on the nose, but Billy Joel's scenes from an Italian restaurant. Oh, sure. Is just ripe for adaptation.
0: It's the bones of the Billy Joel musical, Moving Out. The main oh. characters are Brenda and Eddie.
2: Okay, I didn't know that, but I guess it's already been done then. Never mind.
0: No, good instinct.
2: But actually, the first song that came to mind was everyone's favorite Western ballad, Poncho and Lefty. A
1: poncho made his match, you know on the desert stand in mexico and nobody
2: heard his dying words
1: oh but that's the way it goes
0: and all the federales say they could have had him any day they only let him
1: hang Kindness, um, oh,
2: yeah, I grew up, of course, I think as we all did on the Willie Nelson, Merle Haggard version, I'm ashamed to say I do not remember the name of the singer songwriter who wrote and originated it. But I think, you know, it's really good musical storytelling. And there's a Western in there. I wouldn't watch it because I'm not a huge Western fan. But I would I mean, watch the heck out of it. I think it could be a good movie.
0: I associate that song so strongly with like like episode two of The Grinder, the Fox show with Rob Lowe as the TV lawyer who tries to become a real lawyer. Oh there's God, a scene Rob of just Lowe. like Oh yeah, oh my gosh, it's so appropriate. <laughs> I was uh, gonna
2: say, you're welcome. I didn't realize it, but I just served you that tie-in on a silver platter. Uh,
0: but there's a scene of Rob Lowe who like in that movie perfectly plays this like overly confident idiot who thinks he knows the law because he played a lawyer on TV. Just, like, sitting sadly on a bus, riding around nowhere while Poncho and Lefty plays.
2: I would like to say, I served you that tie-in on a silver platter, just like Lefty served Poncho up to the Federales on a silver platter. Wow.
0: That, that's harsh.
2: Sorry, spoilers for <laughs>
1: spoilers for Poncho and Poncho Lefty,
0: the song. Our listeners won't have gotten through all of it yet.
1: Well, I guess speaking of Rob Lowe, we should get started on this episode. As little as I want to talk about this movie. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay.
0: And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative holiday podcast where we dig into the very least important issue facing our world. Does Hollywood holiday romance actually make any sense?
1: And are these people actually dateable or even likable?
0: It doesn't matter if the holiday romance is a holiday main plot or a holiday one scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, our very good friend Rachel has brought a movie to us.
2: I think that's a misrepresentation. I will say I am vocal about my ironic love of this movie, but Will actually informed me that I would be coming on this podcast to cover it. I have not been begging them to do it, and it's important to me that I establish that because I know I have a reputation for lobbying for certain other movies. I
0: just feel like you've mentioned it a couple times.
2: Well, yeah, you have to mention it every Christmas season because this is the season of the shoes.
0: Wait, is this an annual watch for you? Is this your Christmas kiss?
2: You know, at, at this point in my life, no. However, I do own it on DVD, along with the other two movies of the official Christmas shoes trilogy. I also am so familiar with it that I was able to determine... The existence of a full Christmas Shoes universe, it did cross over into Hallmark because there was some movie I was watching on the Hallmark channel in maybe, I don't know, 2018 or so. And I recognized the musical cues and was able to determine that it was both the same uh, movie composer and the same producer as Christmas Shoes doing whatever movie I was watching, which again means it is part of the Christmas Shoes universe, even if it's a different network.
0: That does not astonish me because the woman who wrote the Christmas Shoes book has written like 15 books that all seem to be just from a cursory glance in a cohesive universe.
2: Oh, that's interesting because I've only seen the... I think I've only seen the third one once. I've only seen the... Is that
0: the Christmas Promise?
2: Yeah, I think so. And then the, the sequel is Christmas Blessing. I've seen that a few times, but it's been several years. But I have a long and loving history with this movie. I have always thought the song was really bad, but my mom truly hated it when it came out. And I was at the ripe age of choosing to love something because it was funny because my mom hated it. Uh, And again, to be clear, I never thought the song was good. I never actually enjoyed it, but I would sing it to my mom a lot because it annoyed her. And I was brat when I was 12.
0: So you were like at a new song concert today, when they perform the song, after the bridge, going into that last refrain, they bring out a small child to sing the refrain, to really try to bring the bring the emotion home. I want to look beautiful if mama meets Jesus tonight. You were the small child singing. Sir, I want to buy these shoes.
2: Yeah, but just to bother my mom. Also, do they really bring a small child out at concerts? Uh, Yes, they do. You know, can we go on a VeggieTales? Is that okay?
0: I mean, fine.
2: This reminds me... It's been like
0: a whole month since we did.
2: This reminds me of my absolute favorite VeggieTales cover. which uh, uh, Spoilers for ruining a VeggieTales cover of a Casting Crown song. But... The VeggieTales have put out multiple albums of themselves covering not just silly songs, but popular music, both contemporary Christian music and also country music.
0: Mark, do you know about this?
1: Uh, mostly through Rachel putting one of these songs in the Music League.
2: Excuse you, I have put like three different ones in the Music
1: League <laughs> Fair enough. time.
2: Yeah, I think the one I put, the one that I almost won with, I think I came in second place, was the cover of Jesus Take the Wheel which has a lot of background storytelling in it. But my favorite one is God Bless the USA, where it is established that the VeggieTales are U.S. citizens. Oh,
1: I am so happy. Today I became an official citizen of the USA. Oh, that's wonderful, Jean Claude. I remember the day I became a citizen. I love this country.
0: If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd
2: work for Anyway. We're getting away from my favorite cover is the Casting Crown song, Who Am I?, which starts with, I don't know his name, but the lead singer of Casting Crowns just singing the first verse. And then they surprise bring on a children's choir for the chorus. And so you're listening to it. It sounds a little off from the original recording. And you're like, huh, that's weird. And then the children's choir comes on and you're like, oh, okay. That was why it was weird. It's a special children's choir version. Until suddenly, right before the second verse starts, Larry the Cucumber comes on and goes, I'll take it from here and sings the rest of the song. And it's so funny. And I've used it to fake out so many people. Like Every person I know who I think might have grown up with contemporary Christian music I will play it for them at some point and they'll go, Ugh, Rachel, you're just trying to give me a hard time by playing casting crowds. And I'm like, oh, ha ha, you're right. But you know, there's actually a kind of funny children's choir that comes on in the chorus. So let's just listen through like the end of the chorus and then surprise fake out second verse with Larry the Cucumber.
0: Would this movie be better with VeggieTales? I think the answer has to be yes.
1: I think there. Is only one answer, and it is yes.
2: Well, it would be much less earnest, which would help.
0: That's true. Like, VeggieTales is always a comedy.
1: There is no comedy in this movie, which is very weird for Christmas
0: movies. Yes, because the Hallmark movies, I mean, I think a lot of them aren't actually comedic. They just have line deliveries that sound like they're jokes. Yes. People say things that sound like they have the the cadence and tone of a joke but aren't actually funny. This movie isn't even trying to do that. This is a Christmas melodrama.
2: Wait, you didn't think it was funny when she pretended to have a heart attack in order to convince her husband to get a puppy?
0: I forgot about that, honestly.
2: (laughs) I have forgotten not a single moment of this entire film. I sing the score, like just the musical cues to my mom. I don't know how I have any friends.
0: So Mark, I feel like you sort of alluded to this. What are your general feelings on the Christmas shoots? The song.
1: The song? Uh bad. I grew up listening to a lot of uh 104.7 The Fish, which switched <laughs> to fish. all the fish.
2: Was it fish with a P?
1: No, it okay. was the fish like the Jesus fish. And they switched to Christmas music very early. I think well, for the time. Now it is November, but it was like the day after Thanksgiving. And every time that this song came on, we would switch the channel. Because it's so overdramatic. It crosses the threshold that even, like, a lot of sappy moms I know can't handle.
0: I mean, people who do not know the song The Christmas Shoes" should really stop and listen to it. But also, I apologize.
2: Is there actually anyone out there who genuinely likes this song? I cannot think of anyone I have encountered who doesn't either hate it or like it purely ironically because it's bad.
0: I read a lot of interviews and I read a lot of news pieces that are like the Christmas Shoes, the song you love or hate. And they like did interview people who talk about how much they love it, who talk about how like it makes them cry every time they hear it.
2: You know what? You're right. It occurs to me. I think my aunt loves this song. I know my aunt loves these movies. She sees it as a bonding thing between the two of us. And I have never had the heart to tell her that it's a hate
0: watch for me.
2: But I love it.
0: So the story, Because it's bad. So the story of the Christmas shoes is, it's almost Christmas time. It's not specified more particularly than that. The man is going to the store. He's got to buy a last few couple of things. But he is, it says, not really in the Christmas mood. But you got to give it that adult contemporary speed. He's like, not really in the Christmas mood. And... Ahead of him in line is a small child holding a pair of shoes. Kid puts the shoes on the counter, starts counting out change. Presumably, it's implied, spends a while counting out change. At which point, the teller is like, oh, Kid, you're, you're a couple cents short. Sorry, you're out of luck. At which point, the kid says, Sir, I want to buy these shoes. Uh, he wants to buy them for his mom, who is dying. These shoes are her size. And the kid's plan is to get those shoes on His mom's feet, so that she'll look beautiful if she meets Jesus tonight. Over the course of the song, the narrator's heart warms. He buys the shoes for the kid, and then thinks about how God sent that little boy to remind our narrator what Christmas is about.
1: And that message, not entirely popular within the Christmas or within the Christian community as a whole, either.
0: Not within the Christmas community either,
1: or the Christmas community.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of criticism that, like, that's not what God would do. He would not send this boy to remind you. If God is intervening in this scenario at all, God would be sending you to help the kid.
1: Right. I was looking at the Wikipedia and saw it described as poverty porn, and it's just so accurate.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. But I also think there is a particular type of person, particularly a particular type of Christian who does look at, like, oh, yes, and there's, like, the faith of a child, and he didn't know if he would have enough money, but God used me to step in and give him that money, and I should learn from his faith with my own faith. That said, it's he remembers what Christmas is all about, but the kid is still buying a pair of shoes. Like it's, it, She can't look beautiful unless she has
0: new shoes. Yeah, obviously, you have to buy things. Otherwise, if she doesn't have the good shoes, Jesus will not let her in.
2: Well, he'll let her in. He just won't think she looks beautiful.
0: Yeah. Don't, Don't be worry. judgy, Jesus.
1: Jesus still loves capitalism. Definitely aligns with the principles of the New Testament.
0: So the Christmas shoes, as we said, was adapted from the book by Donna Van Leer, which was itself adapted from the song, which, according to one source I saw, was adapted from a chain email.
1: Ooh, that really places it in time.
2: Ugh, new cold open. What chain email should be adapted into a future film?
0: I mean, that would obviously be the veteran student who is the one who refuses to move on. But that already happened. We have three God's Not Dead movies.
1: See, my first thought is the one where it's like, if you don't forward this to 10 people, someone's going to come and kill you.
0: Shocking if that hasn't happened. I mean, that's like, it follows, but with email. Yeah. Yeah.
2: This is interesting, just kind of gender differences because when I think of chain emails, the first one I think of is all the advice of what to do if a man pulls a gun on you and says, "Give me your purse
0: yep didn't get those ones It, no. it never
2: occurred to me that I probably only got them because I was a girl.
0: I tried to track down the chain email couldn't find it unlike there was some time you were on recently, and you found a chain email Yes about that's, the man who carried his wife That's
2: or, the email that should be adapted, the man who carries his wife every day because she he says he wants a divorce. Because he wants to be with his mistress, and she says, "What episode was that?" That was uh, the love dare, obviously. Oh, of course, uh, fireproof. And and she says, "Yes, but only if you cover me over the threshold every day for the next thirty days." And doing so, it gets easier and easier to carry her. Because she's
0: dying <laughs>
2: because she's dying of cancer, but she didn't tell him that. And and then she dies. He like decides after carrying her for thirty days, like, "No, I do want to be with you," but he can't be because she died of cancer, but never told him.
0: So. The song is based on a chain letter. It was released by New Song in two thousand. We were almost saved from it. It was a last-minute bonus track, but when it released, it was a hit. Peaked at number forty-two on the Billboard Hot One Hundred. As I said, number one on the Adult Contemporary chart. And the song was a big enough hit that then Donna Van Leer was going to be writing a book on it, which I assume was commissioned around the same time as the movie because they both come out in two thousand two. Since the Christmas Shoes, Donna Van Leer has written a couple other books. Like I said, the Christmas Blessing. The Christmas Hope, The Christmas Promise, Angels of Morgan Hill, The Christmas Secret, The Christmas Journey, The Christmas Note, The Christmas Light, The Christmas Town, The Christmas Star, and The Christmas Table.
1: Those can't all be real.
0: They are all real, and at least most of them are about the same kid. They're about Nathan.
2: I feel like you're gonna get, like, the Christmas pencil, the Christmas sock, the Christmas
0: toenail, like... Anything is Christmas if you say it is.
1: The Christmas menorah.
0: Maybe not that. The movie is written by Wesley Bishop, who also wrote the screenplays for The Christmas Blessing, The Christmas Hope, The Christmas Secret, The Christmas Note, and Christmas Town.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all I'm telling you. But some of, again, I think some of those are on Hallmark. Yeah. But it's a whole universe.
0: And all of those are adapted from Donna Van Leary books. The movie is directed by Andy Wolk, who's like a steadily working TV director. He like does a lot of stuff, still works. He also directed Pizza My Heart, the ABC Family movie that is strikingly similar to Little Italy.
1: With a better name.
0: Yes. I don't know who's in that, but, you know, can they match Hayden Christensen and Emma Roberts? I don't know. That's
2: a low bar.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, Christmas Shoes shot in Halifax, Nova Scotia during July of 2002. That means for Rob Lowe, he was shooting it in the hiatus before his final season of The West Wing. And it is kind of funny watching this because... With actors who come out of TV, like, they develop a lot of tricks, their ways of delivering lots of dialogue. You especially see this with, like, hospital shows. So, like, people like Denzel or George Clooney who come out of hospital shows, they have, like, a couple of tricks that they use, like, especially during close-ups to make exposition interesting because they would just be saying medical jargon. And Rob Lowe has that skill for government stuff from West Wing. And it's very funny to see him doing those tricks at the same time in a different context with real estate. I'm like, I know exactly how to understand this Rob Lowe performance, but it's in something much dumber.
1: I struggled to pay attention to this movie because I was falling ill and it's boring. And something, like, I got really lost in the, the, like, farmer plotline. Like, (laughs) what he was actually doing for the law. So, like, I genuinely couldn't tell you what that court case was.
2: Would you like to know? Yes. Okay, so the farmers have been there for generations and generations, but developers want their land. So the developers are taking them to court, claiming that the farmers' irrigation systems that they use are killing the fish in the lake. But the farmers know that it's not actually their irrigation systems because the lake is actually at record high levels right now.
0: So, presumably, then, Rob Lowe is defending these lawyers from some kind of environmental lawsuit?
2: The farmers, yes. Yes, right. (laughs) Yes, an environmental lawsuit brought by the developers.
1: To me, this reads as something that he potentially wouldn't need to work 24 hours a day
0: on. Frankly, it's hard to imagine this being a, like, major priority for the company. Well,
2: he says that he's frustrated he keeps getting this kind of case because... The other lawyers in his company are being given better cases and his wife responds, well, they are partners in the locker room and you're not. So I think he's trying to prove himself that he's partner material, because especially if he's able to win this case against a big development company, then he's showing that he can go up against anyone.
1: That makes more sense than I was able to piece together.
2: I've seen this movie so many times. I don't know how I have any friends given how many times I've seen this movie. Like those two things shouldn't. Coexist. Well, you have no time
0: left over because you're always watching the Christmas shoes.
2: I guess we we didn't cover our histories with the movie earlier, which is the no. thing we typically do at the
0: top. I mean, well, yeah, Mark and I watched this for the first time basically. Yeah, I'd seen some of it before, but never the. I didn't know
1: it, it existed. Bit.
0: Well, I
2: was first alerted to the existence of this film by my orchestra teacher. Who came in very angry one day when I was, was this in two thousand two? No, this was in two thousand seven. Came in very angry one day to eighth grade orchestra saying, I watched the stupidest movie on TV last night and there should never be a movie made based on a song. And he actually told us that the book was based on the movie. So I'm glad we're having this podcast episode to clear up that misconception.
0: I mean, I assume it's like a 2001 A Space Odyssey thing where like the book and the movie are written simultaneously.
2: Okay, that makes sense. So I that's how I first learned that this movie existed. But fast forward about a year and a half. I was hanging out at home. The rest of my family was over at my grandparents. Don't ask me why I wasn't with them. And this was the age when you could watch movies on YouTube. But they would be in parts. So
0: it would be like (laughs) seven minute segments.
2: Yeah. But then you would just click through. And for some reason, again, I think it was like April, maybe. I don't know. It was not Christmas time. I was like, I should watch The Christmas Shoes on YouTube. I also, for some reason, was not on the family computer. I was on my dad's office computer, like in his home office. And I watched The Christmas Shoes for the first time. I was probably 14. And I was so sad and emotional and felt so bad that I was not at my grandparents' house enjoying their company with the rest of my family and was also, I think, convinced that my family was going to die on the drive home because everybody dies in this movie. Someone might throw a football at them. I cried so many times. I cried when she tells the husband that she just wants to dance with him one last time. I cried when Nathan talks about how he had stolen a dollar from his grandfather and didn't get to say, I'm sorry. I cried when Maggie's death finally brought Rob Lowe to give his wife and daughter a hug. Like, it was very emotional. And then, like I said, I brought up to my mom that I had watched it because I wanted to give her a hard time. And somehow this got back to my aunt, who genuinely, sincerely, loved the film uh, and also the song
0: presumably and, and
2: also the song yes and so again I didn't have the heart to tell her oh I think it's all kind of stupid I guess I it did evoke a real emotional reaction from me but I, I didn't think it was a good movie but then I needed to gang up on my mom with my aunt um and then fast forward several years I was a sophomore at Georgetown my mom was visiting me She was staying at the on-campus hotel, and I had an exam, and so I couldn't hang out with her one night because I needed to study. And then the next day, the morning after my exam, we went for a run together to the monuments, as one does. And she told me, I watched this movie on TV, and I want to tell you about it, and I have a little surprise about it, but we'll get there. And so she starts recounting the plot to me. And after a while, she says, "Okay." and the surprise is the lead of this movie is Neil Patrick Harris. And this was in the heyday of How I Met Your Mother. So I was just thrilled. I was like, oh, man, I wish I'd watched it with you. So we keep running. She keeps going through the plot. And then she finally says, and this is the bigger surprise. The shoes he is talking about are the Christmas shoes. He's the little boy from the Christmas shoes movie, all grown up. And I stopped In front of the Lincoln Memorial, and started screaming and punching her in the arm, and passersby like stopped to make sure everything was okay because I was just so overjoyed. I had not known that there were sequels, so then she gave me all three films as a Valentine's Day gift with a note on it that said. This is my gift to you. Please never make me watch them with you. But, haha, jokes on her because she told my aunt she'd given me this gift. So then at Christmas that year, my aunt was like, oh, and obviously we will all watch all of this together. Nice. And, yeah. Uh, And in the meantime, so now I owned the DVD. So I've watched it plenty of times. Um, I also definitely watched it multiple times on YouTube before then. And that is my movie-specific history. I... You could say assaulted my mother out of joy at the existence of the sequel, which we'll get into it when we talk about the film. But there are some big plot holes that like things that don't add up between the first film and the sequel.
0: You're telling me this is not a tight continuity?
2: I wish I had had time to rewatch the sequel so that I could come in with specific details. But there, there are several things that really confuse me.
1: I was confused by a lot of this movie, but I do think that might have just been my, like, addled brain.
2: It really starts to come together on, like, the sixth or eighth watch mark.
0: I think, honestly, the biggest problem for the movie is that it is an adaptation of The Christmas Shoes, because that's the part of the movie that makes the least sense. Like, narratively, Kimberly Williams should die dancing with her husband one last time. Right? They unplug her, he picks her up, they're gonna dance together, and it cuts away. And, narratively, that should be the last time we see her alive, but because it's the Christmas shoes, the kid has to show up with shoes to put on her before she dies.
1: It should be that he gives her the shoes, and then the husband
0: dances with her, and then she dies. Right, with her dancing shoes on, which is set up by the, like, little children's story at the beginning.
2: Guys! Guys, she met her husband at a ballroom dance studio. It's beautiful. Right,
0: that's why she should die that way.
1: (sighs) Ugh, this movie made me mad because I was also so confused. Like, this is unrelated to what we've been talking about. I was so confused about the politics of Roblo's wife going back to work because at times it felt like he was pressuring her into going back into the workplace. And I was like, is this a, like women should be home movie? Is he just being a dick? And then it's like, oh no, she just wants to take a different job.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: It's just he's a dick.
2: It's just that he's a dick. He really wants to buy the house on Madison Hill because that's a really fancy, ritzy neighborhood. And there's a specific Victorian house that his wife has just loved forever and it's on the market. But they're not going to be able to afford it unless she has the high-powered, high-paying job at the pharmaceutical company, and the position at the school is, like, a part-time, maybe even volunteer position, but it's going to take up all her time, so she can't make the money to get the house on Madison Hill.
0: But, like, what's funny is, one, he just puts in an offer anyway on the house.
2: Well, he's sure that she's going to go get the job.
0: Yeah, well, he's dumb. Uh, And number two is that, maybe it's just, like, wishful thinking. Maybe he read The Secret, which has been adapted into a movie, which I have seen. Like, he seems to think that by buying The Nice House, he will become successful.
2: Well, The Nice House is also itself a sign of success.
0: Right, but it's circular.
1: It's, It's just a bizarre plot line.
0: Well, the movie was a hit. It aired on CBS on December 1st, 2002, during Rob Lowe's last season on The West Wing. A lot of the reviews of it were like, really, Rob Lowe's leaving West Wing to do this? But it was the highest rated single part Fiction thing for adults in an 18 month window, and it came in number two in its time slot. Well, number one for total viewers in its time slot, and second for adults after NFL on Fox.
1: It is always funny how these stats just have to entirely remove sports.
0: Right, like what's the most watched program in the US? The Super Bowl. Right. So if you say scripted programming, Christmas shoes cleaned everyone else's clock.
1: I just don't get why.
0: <laughs> well, in 2002, there was less to watch.
1: Fair.
2: And Rob Lowe.
0: Right, Rob Lowe is a star. You know, some people might have followed him from West Wing. They wanted to know what happened in the California 47th, and they were like, maybe this is a special.
1: I sometimes forget, like, how popular schlock is in this country.
0: Hey, CBS is the number one network in America. Mark, do you know that they are currently heavily promoing a show called NCIS Australia?
1: I did not know that.
0: Yeah, the, the U.S. Naval Criminal Investigative Service is doing a job in Australia.
1: I mean, I can tell you from firsthand knowledge, NCIS does operate in other countries. Yeah, of course they do. But I don't think they were doing a lot of intense work as much as just, like, dealing with <laughs> drunken sailors.
0: The promos do seem intense. Or They've got stuff about, like, people getting, like, locked up in basements and maybe finding some skeletons. You know, things the Navy deals with.
1: It's just become so clearly uh, just like any crime thing. It's a cop show. So lost the track of the naval thing. So I'm just like, let's move on, baby.
0: So you are no longer an NCIS watcher.
1: I am not, but I was a pretty big NCIS watcher at one point. I didn't realize that. Unfortunately.
0: All right. Well, we should probably talk a little bit about the romance of the Christmas shoes. I have not looked at the points that Rachel came up with at all, but there are, in a way, several romances of this movie. Uh,
2: th- I will say this: these points are focused only on the romance between Robert and Kate, Roblo's character and his wife. So if you want to talk about any of the other romances, we should probably do it before we get started on the points.
0: I mean, I was just rooting for Dalton and Granny to get together. Dalton, the teacher who lives next door to Roblo's mom.
1: I also do want to mention that, like, Maggie and her husband's... No, not Maggie. Wait, is Maggie the one who dies?
2: Yeah. Maggie dies. Yeah. Kimberly Williams.
1: She Father and her bride? husband do not seem to have that good of a relationship. It's
0: weird, right? There, there are sweet elements of it, but at the same time, they like undermine each other with the kid pretty regularly.
1: I just don't understand like, how I'm supposed to feel about their relationship.
2: You are supposed to think that you're they have like a lovely, beautiful relationship, and he is the perfect blue-collar man, whereas Rob Lowe is a less perfect but white-collar man. That's what I'm not saying I agree with it, but I think that's what you're supposed to think.
0: Yeah, I think that's right.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: I like that the movie starts off with just immediately ridiculous, because it starts in a flash-forward in the cemetery with Rob Lowe visiting his mom's grave. And the first line of voiceover is, I know most people decorate graves on Memorial Day. But most people don't decorate graves on Memorial Day. They just do that for soldiers. Like, I would not assume you were decorating your mom's grave on Memorial Day. You don't have to be like, most people do it then, but my mom loved Christmas. Like, it doesn't need an explanation.
1: We don't really have that, like, holiday focused on just memorializing the dead in general
0: right there's not a dia de los huertos in new england
1: like in china they have a grave sweeping holiday like a day you're supposed to go and take care of your family graves every year i don't know why they felt the need in this movie to like imply that that exists instead of just saying my mom loves christmas so i come to her grave every christmas even if most people are focused on going to church or whatever
0: You don't need an explanation. You show somebody visiting a grave on Christmas. You're like, sure, I've seen this in movies before.
2: But then he does establish that the other man there visiting a grave is the first person he's seen at the cemetery on Christmas in years and years.
0: He does establish that. That's true.
2: So maybe in this world, people don't go to cemeteries on Christmas, unlike in my experience, where it is a very common time.
0: I just think establishing. Obviously, all fiction takes place in an alternate universe, but establishing that that's a rule of an alternate universe through this line, I think, cannot be what they were going for.
2: I don't know, man.
0: Anyway, we should probably get into this romance, because we do have a lot to talk about with bad husband Rob Lowe and his incredibly passive-aggressive wife.
1: They don't have, like, a single mature conversation in this movie.
0: No, but I mean, I'm not going to get into it. She does so many little petty things that I love. And some of them, I think the movie does not think are petty, but they are. So Rachel, every week we break down our romantic plot line into five points to guide our conversation. So as our expert on The Christmas Shoes, would you please take us through?
2: Of course. Point one is where the movie opens. What I have written down is Robert and Kate are married. One is absent, and one is passive-aggressive.
1: Hey, guess what? What? You remember that big Victorian house on... by Madison Hill you were drooling over? I salivate. You drool. For sale. It's a big commitment. It's got four fireplaces. Four. You are coming tonight, right? Everyone is testing me today. We'll pick up some roses, and please don't wait till the last minute. I've got a bunch of farmers who are trying to keep their irrigation water running. That's the big case I'm on now.
0: Right, Roblo, we're told, is a deadbeat business dad. Not like a deadbeat in the sense that he's, like, totally out of the picture. But, like, he is a classic turn-of-the-millennium business dad. He's always working. He's never at the school play or the concert or whatever. The man might as well have a cell phone.
1: The movie starts with him, like, promising with all his heart that he'll show up at the recital, and then obviously doesn't.
2: That said, I think we are supposed to see Kate as a good, just long-suffering wife of a business dad. But holy cow, she is so passive-aggressive. She cues up the concert that he misses <laughs> so that she hits play, presumably when... She hears the car, and when he walks through the door, what he hears is the video of his daughter singing that he missed.
0: From that, night. I think that's incredibly funny. And, like, the movie doesn't seem to have any judgment of her doing it. It feels like it's just there. I don't know, so that he can, like, kind of see it. But... The scene works just as well if she's just, like, sitting there waiting for him. It didn't need this passive-aggressive, like, I'm watching the concert for a second time. You couldn't even watch it once.
1: It's just one of those things that is such a, th- like, always happening in movies. And it's just, like, I can't even remember my parents ever rewatching a concert, even when they bought the DVDs. No! Let alone using it as ammunition in a fight.
0: It's so funny. But yeah, when we're introduced to them, uh, Roblo's wife, whose name I don't remember... Kate. Okay, Kate. Roblo's character is named Robert. So, like, whatever. Kate, at this point, is a stay at home mom, but she is, like, maybe going to go back. Roblo is pushing for her to get a job, and she's like, I don't know. Like, our kids really used to be being at home, so maybe I should just be at home. And Roblo's all like, no, you have to get a job in pharmaceuticals so that we can afford a house with seven fireplaces.
2: It's four fireplaces. That's, Let's not exaggerate. That's
0: still too many fireplaces.
2: If a house has four fireplaces, are there four chimneys, or do they somehow all connect
0: into a mega chimney? I would guess two chimneys, because you can put fireplaces in adjacent rooms, and then they j- go to a joint chimney.
1: I think you can also stack on one yes, onto one stack. chimney. So I I would say two chimneys, is seems likely. I also do want to point out that they have a very large and nice hole already. They do You know They're not It's not gonna be that big of an upgrade
0: No It's already much better than Kimberly Williams' house Which has Dead fish floating in tanks for weeks And also Has ugly door shutters Mark did you track those? I didn't Every exterior shot of their house Shows that They have a door And then next to the door They have like Full door length windows And then Next to the windows They have full door height white shutters. It is ugly as sin. And look, I'm not going to say this family deserved to have bad things happen because they have ugly shutters. Of course not. But I'm just saying, their bad taste may have at least, like, led to bad things for the fish.
1: (laughs) Rachel has (laughs) no idea how to respond to this.
2: Yeah, well, I can't believe that you would blame this car mechanic. For the environmental woes faced by the farmers. No,
0: I mean the fish in his house.
2: Oh, the fish did die. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They yeah, have a yeah, fish yeah, bowl.
0: Yeah. We're told the fish. There's like eight fish in that bowl. We're told they've been dead there for two weeks.
2: Well, he didn't want to flush them yet. That's too long.
1: How big is this town supposed to be?
0: Unclear. The only thing we know is it is not Boston.
2: You know what? Here's the thing I think sometimes. You really love a fish and you don't want to flush it. And sometimes you love that fish so much that you need to wait for the ground to thaw to bury it. There's a lot of snow, you know. So theoretically, somebody might, you know, want to bury the fish. And maybe their parents are a little more involved. So they realize you can't, you know, leave the fish in the bowl, but you put the fish in the freezer, hypothetically, just until the ground has thawed enough to bury it. And then you don't think about the fact that there's a dead fish in the freezer until six and a half years later when you are moving across the country and have to clean the fridge out and decide what you're finally going to do with the frozen fish. Hypothetically, it seems to me, I want to be clear, this, this never happened with my fish. Oh, True. of course not. No, truly, it never happened with my fish.
0: You're hitting my very hard.
2: Yeah, it, all of my fish went down the toilet when they died. But hypothetically, that seems like a thing that could happen.
0: To someone else.
2: To someone else's fish. That was not my fish and not my responsibility.
0: So your sister's fish.
2: This never happened to my fish. Now, have I made jokes about a five-year-old dead fish in a freezer? Who can say? But I have some sympathy for I love the fish so much, I must bury it, but the ground is frozen. That, that may or may not be a thing that happened to someone I love.
1: So, what point are we on? (laughs) Point one. Are we still? Okay.
2: But we can move to point two if you'd like. Yeah, let's do it. Great. So, we've established Robert and Kate are married. One is absent and one is passive-aggressive. Point number two is that the absence and the passive-aggressiveness both come to a huge head over whether or not to buy a house. The previously established house on Madison Hill.
1: And uh, you are coming to the Christmas concert, right? If there's one time a year you can count on me, it's Christmas. And hopefully, with any luck, this will be our last Christmas in this house. Next year, Madison Hill. Madison Hill? You don't want to live there. You'll love it. You have a bigger room. And you have an interview with Bowser Pharmaceutical at 10 a.m. Interview for what? For Mommy's new job. Unbelievable. I thought we were going to talk about this. Talk? Forget it. I'll try to make the interview. I pulled a lot of strings to get you in front of the line. Fine, Robert. Okay,
0: case closed. I'll go.
2: As we said, Robert wants to buy it, but needs a second income from Kate in order to be able to afford it. So he sets her up to have an interview with a pharmaceutical company against her wishes. She then skips the interview because she goes to school to drop off Lily's lunch and encounters Maggie. Maggie, played by Kimberly Williams, is dying of congenital heart failure. They think they're going to be able to get a transplant heart for Maggie so that she can live, but then it turns out after she's already knocked out for surgery, oh no, the heart has hepatitis B. No transplant for Maggie.
0: This is unfortunate because it was an 18-year-old's heart. She could have lived to like 130.
2: So she is struggling to control the class and insists that Kate jump in and run the music class, even though. All she knows is that Kate was a music major for one year before switching and getting an MBA. Kate does jump in. It goes, eh, okay. She loves it because deep down she wants to be a music major. But this does mean she misses her interview, and that makes Rob Lowe angry.
1: What's going on, Kate? Missed your appointment. Something came up at the elementary school. What are you talking about? I'm doing the Christmas program. This is not happening. You did not blow off Balser Pharmaceutical for an elementary school Christmas program. Please tell me that you're joking. Maggie got sick. Maggie. The music teacher, Robert, the choir.
0: Give her an aspirin. Is that your problem?
1: She's waiting for a heart transplant. A heart transplant. Something you might want to think about.
2: So she decides to get even more involved in the children's music program against his wishes. Is she doing this because she truly loves music? Or is she doing this just to spite Rob Lowe? I think both.
1: I don't know what this woman wants besides her husband to have better work-life balance.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's her primary goal.
2: She even brings the little child carolers to circle the block. That his office building is on over and over. So he just hears the children singing outside while he works late into the night trying to save the farmers from the evil development
0: firm. Okay, this is extremely funny to me because we're told at the beginning of the movie, when Kimberly Williams is still running the choir, that the choir has been chosen over all the other middle school choirs to be the one that will perform at the town's tree lighting ceremony. And then, like... It's hard exactly to track time, but say two weeks after Kate takes over the choir, she's like, okay, we're not going to sing at the Christmas tree ceremony anymore. We will cast this honor into the dumpster like a bunch of old cans. And instead we're going to go caroling. And then basically only go caroling around the block where her husband works as a passive-aggressive F.U. because he's not there.
1: She's, like, just So rude.
0: (laughs) It's wild. Does it
2: feel like with some slightly different editing, this maybe could actually be a horror movie? Like the tension between the two of them?
0: I mean, I would like that more. Especially if the Christmas shoes were cursed. They look cursed. They're ugly.
1: They are so ugly. Why did they pick such an ugly shoe?
0: They're these like red flats with a lot of detailing on them, but they're just like not good. (sighs) Ugh. It's weird. it's weird that the kid fixates on them so much. And, like, the movie sort of implies that they are, like, sent by God or something like that. Because the children's story that we hear in class is, like, these shoes helped a lady dance with angels. And then there's the pair of shoes that had, like, literally fallen off the back of a truck. Rob Lowe takes them to the store that they're labeled for. The guy at the store is like, we've never stocked shoes like that before, but I guess we'll try now. And then no one buys them except the little boy goes for them. So the whole aura of it is like, these are special shoes that are just there to find. But like, they're ugly. I want her to look beautiful if Mama meets Jesus tonight. Sure, but these shoes aren't really going to help.
1: Ugh, they should have been nicer shoes,
0: at the very least. So, uh, where does that leave us, Rachel?
2: Um, I think we're nearing the end of point two.
0: Okay.
2: So, this is where the movie takes a dark turn. The song establishes that the little boy, Nathan, was sent specifically to remind Rob Lowe's character, Robert, what What Christmas Christmas is all about! Exactly. So, I assume that the movie is in the universe of the song, which means...
0: I love the movie is in the universe of the song, not just like the movie is the song, implying that there is a host of small children buying Christmas shoes, right? Like at least two cases happening. They're like, I've got to get these Christmas shoes.
2: So if the movie is in the universe of the song, that means that God is willing to create carnage for the sake of Robert's enrichment and improvement. Again, this is where the story takes a dark turn, because in point three, Robert's mother must be sacrificed for the sake of Robert and Kate's marriage.
0: I love, so Robert's mom is best friends with Dalton, the teacher. And there's one night where they're all at Robert's mom's house and mom pulls Robert aside and is like, you got to get your marriage straight. This is out of control.
1: Robert, I'm not blind and I'm not stupid. Something's wrong between you and Kate. You're right. You know, I also think that people go through things today that are more complicated than when you and Dad were married. And what are those things? Power, prestige, jockeying for the top rung on the corporate ladder?
0: And then, clearly, things are still tense between him and Kate. And when they leave... Dalton kind of looks darkly at Robert's mom and it's like, they left separately. It's like, yeah, they came separately. They have two cars here. Of course they left separately.
1: Maybe they should have left together and then come back for the car tomorrow.
0: Or maybe like their daughter could have driven home. She's like 12, right? Yeah, she's fine. So,
2: Robert's mother, whose name is Ellen, for what it's worth. I did not get that. Like I'm saying, the sixth or eighth time is when the movie really starts to gel. So. Ellen decides to write Robert a letter about what he should prioritize in life. But we all know Robert is not going to take the time to read this letter. She sends it to his office knowing that it won't matter if she sends it to his home because he lives at the office now. And when it's delivered by his secretary, he just puts it on his shelf. So again, we know he's not going to read it unless he has a real reason to. For example, if she dies and it's all he has left of her, so therefore she must be sacrificed for the sake of his marriage.
1: I feel like they should have cast an older, like a woman who is older, because it really feels like her death comes out of nowhere.
2: Well, do you know who that actress is? I do not. No. It's ex-Mrs. Donald Sutherland. It's Kiefer Sutherland's mom.
0: Oh. Oh. Okay.
2: Uh, Her name is Shirley Douglas. Okay. I looked her Wikipedia page up before this episode just to make sure I was on top of things. And she has a personal life and death section. And in the death section, it says she died in April 2020 due to complications from pneumonia. Hmm. So, just a little tidbit. No assumptions to be made
0: there. That's a normal time to uh, have pneumonia. Okay.
2: Anyway, yeah, Kiefer Sutherland's mom. So does that make Kiefer Sutherland and Rob Lowe brothers in a
0: way? I would say yes.
1: Yeah, that's how TV works.
0: So, okay, so the argument is that Rob Lowe's mom dies to save his marriage. Yes, but it's not enough. What, did the fish die for him too?
2: No, Maggie must, this is point four, Maggie must be sacrificed for the sake of his marriage.
0: Okay, you know what? The death of Kimberly Williams does improve his marriage.
2: Yeah, you think I'm joking. This film is all about the sacrifices that must be made for Rob Lowe to get what he wants. And then when he can't get what he wants, the sacrifices that must be made for him to get what he needs. And what we've established is the only thing that works is human life.
0: What's interesting, as you get at this, is that, like, that does kind of make sense. And it is always someone else's sacrifice, right? Like, when he wants to get the big house, it's his wife who has to give up the life that she has, sort of metaphorically.
2: And his daughter, who makes it very clear that she does not want to move.
0: Right. So, like, they have to give up the lives that they have for the, what he wants. And then what he needs to be with his family, understand the spirit of Christmas, other people have to give up their lives completely.
2: Yes. And another thing that I didn't include in the points because it was before the movie and some of us are respectful of no point zero. his father is already dead. And what we hear about his father is that he, like Robert, was a major workaholic who was never around, never spent time with his family. So I would contend that his death was also a sacrifice trying to show Robert, look, he died without being able to spend time on the things that really matter. Don't let that happen to you. But again, it's not enough. First business dad who he didn't really care about dies second his mother dies he is very sad he looks very sad at the funeral but it's still not enough he needs the death of a vibrant young loved person in order to feed his marriage
0: it is funny how much the movie embraces the like self-centeredness of the song that like all of this has to happen for Rob Lowe
1: It's really shocking how much this movie is about a random mean lawyer dad rather than the child whose mom is dying.
0: Why is the kid not the lead of this movie? Like, if I'm looking at the song The Christmas Jews and being like, all right, gotta turn this into a longer story, you focus on the kid.
2: Well, we do focus some on the kid. We see him collecting a bunch of cans to be able to pay. He tries to get a job at his dad's garage to be able to pay for the shoes. He really wants a puppy.
0: But he's like clearly a secondary story.
2: He puts Christmas lights on the hospital bed, which is very cute. A thing that really gets me is the way that his mom, Maggie, Kimberly Williams, tells him that she is about to die. Do you all remember what she says?
0: I mean, there's the whole thing about like, when your heart's beating, I'm with you. Because then she does the like heart flapping thing.
2: Yeah, but the first thing she says to him is, and I quote, I'm going to be seeing a lot of angels soon. And we know that she is religious. She wears a cross necklace at all times. And I just cannot take seriously any Christian who does not lean into biblical angel imagery.
0: Well, they would certainly see you.
2: Yes, that's my point. She should have said, I'm going to be seeing a lot of angels soon. I am terrified. They are terrifying. So many eyes. Please save me.
1: Well, the first thing they always say is be not afraid.
0: Yeah, because they're terrifying. Uh, Where does that leave us? Because so, so Kimberly Williams dies. Rob Lowe like, finds the note from his mom. He rushes out to, to meet the carolers who had been circling his block. But now they're gone because they've gone to Kimberly Williams' house. And he meets up with his wife there.
2: And as soon as she dies, we know because they turn out the light. As soon as she dies, he hugs his family.
0: Cause effect. Yes. Her death fills him with love. Yes. Wow. So, so maybe, there, maybe this movie posits that there is a finite amount of love in the world, and it needs to be freed up from other people so it can flow into Roblo.
2: Yes, which is why God gave Maggie a bad heart and why God gave hepatitis B to that <laughs> teenager.
0: So that enough love would be free for Rob Lowe.
2: Yes, because it's
0: all about him. Does the teenager count as another death to fuel Rob Lowe?
2: No, because the teenager already died in a car accident, or like was going to, I think the organs are still viable, but the teenager died in a car accident. So that's not specifically for Rob Lowe, because the inability to use that heart does not preclude her from getting a different donor heart. The reason she doesn't is because there's just not enough time. Okay. Yes. Yes. But if you want to believe that, you can believe there's another death. I'll give it to you. I'm open
0: to it. I feel like we still need a point five.
2: Yeah, point five is that two people are dead and Robert is only gaining power. Who is next in this bloody, bloody lineup? Is it Nathan? Yeah. Next, we flash forward to the cemetery in the present day. And we see the young man Rob Lowe talked with earlier leaving to get in his truck to go back to medical school. Then Rob Lowe sees that the Christmas shoes are at the graveside and he yells, hey, wait. And maybe it's because he realizes you're that kid for whom I bought the pair of shoes 15 years ago. But maybe it's because he's identified his next victim.
0: I thought it was maybe he was like, dude, you left your shoes here. It is funny that like, The way the movie initially signals to the audience that this is little Nathan is the fact that he's wearing a Red Sox hat. Because earlier it was established like he's a diehard Red Sox fan. Roblo used to care about baseball when he cared about anything. And Roblo's mom gives Nathan his old Red Sox hat. And it was just funny watching this thing from 2002 and remembering that back then, like being a Red Sox fan was coded as like a pathetic thing. Like, you would say that a character was a Red Sox fan to engender pity from the audience. And that's, like, so much not the case anymore that it was weird to be thrown back to that.
1: I didn't even think about that.
0: But this is before the World Series win.
1: You're right. It's just, that is weird to consider. I was just thinking, like, like, how would he recognize that this is his hat ever?
0: Yeah, I don't think he actually does. I think the movie's giveaway is that he's only seen shoes that ugly once in his life. And so it stuck in his mind.
1: God, they are ugly shoes. So, do we find the romance of the Christmas shoes believable?
0: Which part?
2: Are you saying do we believe that there could be a career-climbing business dad and a deeply passive-aggressive mom? Yes. Do I believe that God is out there killing people (laughs) to enrich one man's marriage? Remind
0: me what Christmas is all about.
2: I would like to say no, but who, what human can know the mind of God?
1: I find their marriage, unfortunately, believable, even though they seem to hate each other.
0: So this is a 10 out of 10 for you, Mark? That's what you're saying?
1: It's not a 10 out of 10. It's no Congo. But, like, I don't know. They're just, like, so unhappy. But there's a lot of unhappy marriages in the world. Right. I don't know if I'd say a 10 out of 10 because the weird politics of like going back to work and all of that, I feel like that would have been a red flag a while ago.
2: I don't think it's that weird. I understand what you're saying, but I also find it very believable that he didn't have a reason before to push her to go back to work. But now that there's something concrete, he's like, okay, let's go get that money. And he does seem like he's more the type who would want to be in a power couple than the type who would want to have a, like, nice wife at home
0: just cooking. So, Rachel, where would you rate this from 0 to 10 in terms of the believability of the romance?
2: Before Mark started talking, I was going to say 7, but he might
1: be pulling me up a little
0: bit. I was kind of leaning 8 on this.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: Which definitely makes it, you know, I haven't looked back at the spreadsheet. It's got to be our most believable TV Christmas romance by far.
2: Well, yeah, because most TV romances want you to think that things do turn out beautifully and wonderfully. But in in this, I think again, it's believable that the death of a friend who is roughly her age would make the wife a little more open to him and in turn would make him more willing to spend time with her, especially so close to the death of his mom. But I don't know that I believe that will continue to be the case. That's the thing. It's
0: like, will he be at the next Christmas concert? No. I don't think so.
1: I think it's also a difference of watching movies at the start of relationships versus entering in the middle of a relationship. Yes, that's a good
0: point.
2: It does strike me... Do we think he is alone at the cemetery by choice or because there is no one to go with him?
0: Ooh. Are, are you implying that he has been divorced or that he has killed the rest of his family?
2: Well, no, he is not killing anyone, to be clear.
0: Okay. They
2: have to be sacrificed for his sake, but he is not a murderer,
0: I don't think. But some kind of wraith or tether no, is God
2: doing is doing this. The song establishes God is willing to do terrible things to other people for his sake.
0: Well, would you date him or Kate? No. No, they both stick. Yeah. (laughs) I don't need to date someone who's going to passive-aggressively march a children's choir around my workplace.
1: Yeah, I think we've made a pretty pretty clear argument throughout the episode.
0: Um, We've kind of been talking about whether we think they'll stay together. It feels very easy to imagine this continuing badly for a long time. But it also feels like it could reach a breaking point.
2: Again, I think the fact that he is alone in the cemetery is significant because we see that Kate is very close to Ellen.
0: His mom, yeah. I'm
1: thinking a uh, college divorce.
0: Sure, yeah. All right, Uh, Rachel, if you did have to pick one person from the Christmas shoes to date, whom would you choose?
2: You know... I have two potential answers to this, but both of them do have significant red flags
0: or at least red shoes.
2: Or at least red shoes. Uh I'll I'll go ahead and say Ellen, the grandma. She has a beautiful home. She loves her family and is very welcoming and her son is keeper Sutherland. So, you know, that's cool.
0: Uh I'm going to go with Dalton, the teacher. I normally don't date teachers, but I think he seems like a a nice guy, he's pretty kind, and I'm a little suspicious of the fact that he had the kids read that weird story about Dancing with Angels, but we can give it a shot.
2: No, see, I was also considering Dalton and decided I couldn't pick him, even though he seems great, because if you died, he would then deny your existence.
0: That is true, he does pretend not to have a dead wife, but... Yeah, he's cool. He's played by Dorian Harewood, who's 8-Ball in Full Metal Jacket. Like, I'm good for it. We'll give it a shot. He was also a monster in Space Jam.
1: Oh my god. I was also leaning towards Dalton. There's not a lot of great options in this movie. Uh, you could
0: do, like, the weird guy who runs the store.
2: The secretary is nice, or the I paralegal. Was that's,
1: that's who I was thinking, was uh, the person who works with
0: Robert. It's wild that this movie has a full-on West Wing-style walk and talk one time.
1: So bizarre.
2: Also, I think the mom who comes to chaperone the caroling, not Kate, but there's just a mom there in the cold to help chaperone, she she seems like she's probably nice.
0: I don't think she has any lines.
2: Does a person have to have lines for you to pick them to date?
0: No, I just think it's funny that you're giving a character assessment based on her physical presence.
2: This movie doesn't give me much to work with, okay? You know what? The Doctor. He is kind. He goes out of his way to make a house call when he knows it's going to be a hard conversation. But he is also honest and upfront about what is going on. I am changing my answer. It's not Ellen anymore. It's uh, the Doctor.
0: All right. Last question. Mark, I want to know your thoughts first. Should The Christmas Shoes be adapted into a stage music?
1: <laughs> no, I think I think we're good. I think we've plumbed the depths of the story from this email chain.
0: It was all Christmas time, Thinning in another line. A
1: song, a book, and a movie is enough.
0: And a lot of sequels and spinoffs.
1: And a lot of sequels and spinoffs.
0: All right, well, I think that is about it for The Christmas Shoes, unless anyone has any final thoughts.
1: No. Head empty.
2: My final thought is that there are too many people in this film with Canadian accents. Like, very Canadian accents. If you want me to believe that we're in, like, Western Mass, you need people to not sound like they're in Halifax.
0: That is a good point. Next week, we are going to be moving to some other part of the U.S. I don't know. Uh, We're talking about a brand new release from the Hallmark Channel. Never been chris Like, never been kissed, but with a guy named Chris, who is somehow not Santa.
1: I just assumed it was in Iowa. Uh, maybe. <laughs> but until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at LoveTheLovePod at gmail.com.
0: We're actually now on Blue Sky at We Love the Love as well.
1: Oh, wow. How exciting.
0: Uh, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Especially on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to help other people find the show.
1: Last question What is the best piece of dating advice we got from the Christmas shoes?
0: Rachel just got a horrified look on her face.
2: I forgot this was a question, which is a little absurd because this is not my first time on this podcast. I've Rachel, also listened to this podcast.
0: I've done
1: 317 <laughs> episodes and it still I'm takes never me ready by for surprise. It.
2: Oh man, I mean... You've actually
0: done more, Mark, because we've recorded ahead of this. (laughs) Yeah, true. Uh, I'm going to say, attempting to dance, even if you're bad at it, can still work, like it works for Kimberly Williams' husband.
2: That ties in with the advice I thought of, which was, have a dance party, no matter how sick you are.
1: I mean, if you want to take away the real message of this movie, if someone dies in your vicinity, make sure to think... How does this impact me? How can I make this about
0: me? Well, there you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger.
1: And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about
0: romance. Right Bye! Bye!
1: My
0: mama, please. It's Christmas Eve and these shoes are just her size. Could you hear her say Daddy says there's not much time. You see, she's been sick for quite a while. And I know these shoes
1: will make her smile. And I want her to look beautiful.
0: I